It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. All righty. Well, it's another great day to be alive. This is Garland and Harris, your host <laughs> of the, the uh, New Dynamic Church show today. Um, and it's really wonderful being with you. And on the call so far, we have Charles Johnson, and we have Vince and Patty Santino, and we have Evelyn Harris. And, of course, my name is Garland Harris. And we have an exciting teaching an exciting subject plan for today. Um, it really comes from this chapter in a book called, the Bible tells me so, called you, and the chapter is You Are Righteous Now. And uh, it is absolutely a wonderful chapter. I encourage you to read it. Um, we are going to handle scriptures from that chapter and handle this subject of righteousness. I titled this The Connection. Uh, of righteousness and believing, and um, for a very good reason, which we'll see as we go through and look at what the Word of God says. I'm going to read just the first paragraph of this chapter because it's so wonderful, uh, but I encourage you this week, if you haven't read it recently, even if you have, read it again. It is a wonderful, wonderful chapter. If you have that book, uh, it, again, is The Bible Tells Me So, Studies in Abundant Living, by Victor Paul Werewill. And um, this particular subject in the WACOR became one of my mainstays, one of my absolute favorite subjects, righteousness. And uh, in one regard, because it is so critical for every believer to live with the full knowledge of his or her righteousness before God. In part, for me, it was very special because I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And in that Pentecostal church, we were taught that basically you could lose your salvation at any moment in time. You could be righteous one second and unrighteous the next second. And we were constantly doing works to be righteous. You know, we tried, oh my gosh, just fasting and praying on our knees for hours and, and going to meetings and, you know, making sure you did this and making sure you didn't say that and, and trying to live some sort of, as we call it, a sanctified life. That was the, that was the expression. Well, you, if you're going to live sanctified, and when we would give up, get up and give our testimonies, you know, those of us that were... Um, you know, had spoken in tongues, we would get up and say, you know, I thank God that I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That would be the beginning. And then we'd say, you know, whatever, whatever about God or whatever God did or whatever we wanted to share. And that was a testimony. So that was the start of the testimony. I've lived this week saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, you know. So, and sanctified was that aspect where we, we would, you know, use it to mean that we lived a life where, 
you know, we didn't do anything wrong that week, which, of course, was impossible. <laughs> a complete and total lie. The only Maybe the thing we did wrong was lying because nobody, 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 just nobody uh, avoids blowing it. I mean, a week, for most of us, it's before you get out of bed. You know, before we get going real good, we've already thought some things, or said some things, or done some things that were off the word. And so it's not about trying to live a sanctified life by the things that you and I do. It's about claiming the righteousness that we already have because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. You are righteous now. Many born-again believers are spiritually defeated in this life because of sin consciousness. One of the great things, great in a bad way, about trying to live that saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost life is your mind's always on sin because you're always trying to avoid it, always thinking about, you know, not sinning and doing this and not sinning and doing that. It's a, it's a life of sin consciousness. You know, you get just the opposite by being sin conscious. And not only being sin conscious of yourself, but sin conscious of your brother and sister. We were always, I always came up about, oh, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so we saw coming out of such and such a place, a bar, you know, uh, um, or some other kind of so-and-so's house, you know, late at night. There was always the rumor mill going around because they were always concerned with imputing somebody's trespasses under them, if not our own, everybody else's. You know, it reminds me of that uh, second great commandment. The first is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor, what? As thyself. Well, if you're always thinking about what you might or may not be doing right, it's easy to look at your neighbor, your believing neighbor, and think the same thing about them. What are they doing that's not right? You know, so we just avoid all of that nonsense when we just kick the sin consciousness habit. It's like smoking, only worse. It's worse for us. <laughs> worse for you than smoking cigarettes. They have been saved, but Satan comes to their minds. This is indirect now. Satan comes to their minds and tells them they are not good enough for salvation because of the many years they lived in sin. This spiritual antagonism, now look at that, it's an antagonism, spiritual antagonism. And as we learned here in the foundational class, whether it's the many years or the, the few minutes before this class started or a few minutes after this session ends, I mean, it, it just, you know, whatever period of time someone was off, they, they uh, broke fellowship, you know, whatever period of time. The adversary can come to your mind, you know, indirect, Satan, indirect, indirectly. And I'm going to talk about how that indirect thing happens, what, some of the ways. And just say you're not good enough. Not just salvation, you know, in the sense of going to heaven, being saved and going to heaven, but wholeness. You're not good enough for wholeness. Now, wholeness is more than just going to heaven. Salvation is more than going to heaven. It's wholeness. 
It's spiritual, mental, physical, every category, financial, every category is wholeness. And so, you know, it, many things can get us thinking that we don't deserve wholeness. Well, you know, when I was, before I got saved and knew the word, I smoked pot all the time. So, you know, because of that, you know, that's why my mind is fuzzy and, you know, it's just, you know, it's not God's fault. You know, it's my fault. What? You're righteous. You know, that's just sin consciousness of things you did before that can affect your wholeness now. You know, all whatever things we did in the past, physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever category they are, we are saved to the uttermost. It's wholeness to the uttermost. I mean, it's, we, we are, are given complete and total wholeness. There is no sickness, illness, other suffering that you or I deserve to have because of something we did that where we blew it. You know, sin consciousness is what does that. Spiritual antagonism and defeat comes when a person does not realize what has been given to him by Jesus Christ. When a person becomes a Christian, a believer, he is legally made righteous. You know, look at Romans chapter 8. We're righteous. Which means... Well, righteousness is your God-given justification, for one. It gives you, it's a high and holy privilege to stand before God without a sense of sin, guilt, shortcomings, condemnation, anything like that. No sense of it. No consciousness of it. You're not aware of anything along those lines. Romans eight thirty three. Who should lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God that justifieth shall God that justifieth? Who is he that can? Shall Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? See, nobody gets to lay anything to the charge of God's elect, God's chosen. Who's going to call in question God's chosen? This doesn't mean God's chosen doesn't make mistakes. We do. If we blow it, we know that. Who's chosen question? The first person to work with this on is yourself. That's the first person. <laughs> Because that's where it starts, with you calling yourself in question, you know, thinking you're not good enough, that you're, you know, why am I not doing this? Why am I not better? Why am I not further along? Whatever the heck that means, you have eternal life. How far along do you need to be? But it's when we begin to compare ourselves with others. I remember that wonderful section of teaching and um, living victoriously, which, uh, you know, where Dr. Werewolf is teaching and he talks about, if you want to be miserable, look at yourself. If you want to be, you know, discouraged, look at others. And that discouragement will ultimately result in misery. 
still results in misery. If you want to be miserable, that's not the righteous attitude. That's a miserable attitude. But if that's what you want to be, if that's what we want to be, all we got to do is look at ourselves. Why are we not this, that, or the other? Or look at others and why am I? Why have I not achieved this, that, or the other? It's a good thing Colonel Sanders didn't think that way, because uh, otherwise we wouldn't have ever had Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because many, 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 many years he tried different things and didn't pull it off. But at, I believe it was eighty. Someone probably knows this story better than I do. Um, he certainly did pull it off. <laughs> And because of that, we have Kentucky Fried Chicken and a great story of success at, an, at a very late age in life, com- comparatively. Because we have a greater story than that of, of great accomplishment at a late age in life with Moses. And we have an even greater story than that, because if Moses was 80, we have an even greater story than that with Abraham, the father of all those who believe. Abraham at 99. So, if you look at Romans chapter 10, while you're Romans, first person is yourself. Get off your own case. Stop it. Then the second person is anybody else. Get off their case. So get off your own, first of all, then get off of everybody else's case. As far as believers now, because believers are righteous. And then we we learned last time that we're not Judge Judy. You know, we, we're not here to impute their trespasses under them, the unbelievers. We already know they're unbelievers. If they're not born again, see, you know, we get this, you and I at times, because of society, we get these levels of sin working in our minds. It just doesn't matter how bad someone is if they're not born again, because if they're not born again, they're just bad. They're unrighteous. See, they don't have any of those sonship rights. I know that there are sins that can have greater consequences to a person's life and in society, you know. So homosexuality, for example, has tremendous negative consequences in the lives of individuals that allow themselves to be uh, possessed with that particular spirit, just to be blunt and precise as to what it is. And, uh, and, and a society can be affected. We see some of the effects in our society today. The kind of debauchery that occurs that becomes more and more commonplace. And yet, if someone gets born again of God's spirit and they were a homosexual at the time they got born again, well, at that moment, they're righteous. Now, what they do with that righteousness is another issue. But at that very moment, they are righteous before God. There you have it. So, you know, all the time we could we can spend imputing their trespasses under them is pretty much a waste of time because they either believe God's word and become righteous, or they don't believe God's word and they're unrighteous anyway, like everybody else. You know, Dante's Inferno, the different levels of hell. I don't know about all that. I do know that there are different judgments uh, that. There are things that uh, God will be the judge, and there will be people who are judged greater or lesser 
based on things that, that they do. So that that is uh, clear in the word. But overall, you know, they're going to be away from the presence of God, and that is certainly harsh judgment. Harsh, and not in the sense of God being harsh, but harsh in the sense that those of us that know what it's like to be in the presence of God, certainly to be out of the presence of God, uh, as it talks about in Second Thessalonians, is horrible. So as far as whether anyone's burning in hell and all that kind of stuff, I'm not going there. Why should I? Why do we want to spend our minds and our lives there? It's easy. I know why. Because sometimes we get so, we feel hurt or we're angry or we're mad at what's going on in the world and we what somebody's doing that's, that's bad for the country or bad for our family or bad for society or bad for the world or whatever, that we want to really condemn them. <laughs> we want them to really get it. And uh, so, you know what? There's, time, there's, there's a better way for us to spend our time, to spend our minds uh, much better. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt, and shalt actually is wilt, because this part of it is not absolute. This is what someone might or might not do. So accurately in the word, that if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and wilt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's the shout. There's the absolute. If you'll do those things, if you'll confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you absolutely are made whole. And at that very moment, you're made whole in every category. Then it just comes down to what do we do with it after we've got it, after we got it, after we have that. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth what? Unto righteousness. With the heart. Now we know once again that heart is the seat in this usage. That heart is the seat of your personal life. Right down where you live at, the depth of your being, you believe with your heart unto righteousness. You don't believe righteousness out of God. It's unto. See, he still has to give it because it's by grace. That's just a beautiful thing here. You're entrusted with it. You you, with a heart, man, believe it, or you're entrusted with this righteousness, unto righteousness. God has to do the giving. But you've done everything you needed to do to put yourself in position to get it, and then God, by his grace, gives it to you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Neither did I. We just didn't deserve it, and we didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. See? It's still grace. God still has to give it. If you could work for it, then it would not be grace. All you could do is get yourself in a position where he could give it to you. (laughs) That's the grace. And to put yourself in that position was just to do what the word said. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. And when you did that, you put yourself in the position to receive righteousness. Making you right before God. Making you perfect in his sight. Making you beyond you know, uh, reproach. People can reproach you, but they you're beyond it. 
<laughs> they can throw the mud at you, but it won't. It just doesn't stick because you're righteous. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who? See, nobody. Nobody. Isn't that beautiful? Verse eleven. For the Scripture saith, "Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed." Ashamed is disappointed in his expectation. You're not going to be disappointed. You got the righteousness you bargained for. See? Philippians chapter 3. Isn't that just beautiful? It is beautiful. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians. Just make sure I say it loud enough. Chapter 3. And here we go. We're going to look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having. And after the word having should be the word any, any of, any of mine own righteousness. Not having any of mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith. The righteousness, the faith, uh, through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. The by faith that lasts by faith is not in the Aramaic texts. The righteousness of God. See, not having any of mine own righteousness. Isn't that something? And be found in him. I, I, I think that's wonderful. Be found in him. Not having any of my own righteousness, which is of the law. You know, I just, that's just not what we stand on. That's not where we are. We don't think in terms of, I'm righteous because of what I do. We're righteous because of what God did in Christ Jesus. We simply accepted it. That's what we did. We accepted what God gave. But it has nothing to do with. How good we are. You know, I used to think about Dr. Wirrell, and this was a he would always teach this. He, I, I used to note how often he would come around to the subject of righteousness, sonship rights, etc. And I thought, why does he constantly, regularly teach this? Because it's just something that we, we need to know, especially those of us who would lead, those of us who, who are concerned, who want to do something, be something. Because it's you and I, whom the adversary wants to convince, are not righteous that you've done something so bad or whatever, something so wrong, and that you just, you know, he wants us to be sin conscious. I refuse to be sin conscious. Just don't do it. Make that one of those things that you do as well. Just refuse to be sin conscious, because either you're righteous or you're not. And if you're not, then God's a liar. And if God's a liar, what are we doing? But God is not a liar. God does not lie. We are absolutely and totally righteous before God, no matter what we do from this point forward. Now, that sounds extreme. But so what? (laughs) It's either true or it's not. Extreme or not. I was thinking about... um, someone who I have tremendous admiration for in the particular field that she's fighting in. And uh, it's a woman named Pamela Geller. 
just to bring this up to current events, she was the one that had the Draw Muhammad cartoon um, contest in Garland, Texas. Great name for a city, by the way. And I've been there. Garland, Texas. Had pictures taken there. I don't know where they are anymore. But anyway, Garland, Texas. And as we know, unfortunately, uh, there are those that because she wanted to promote and push freedom of speech, there were those that came to kill her and others that were with her. Drove a thousand miles, from what I'm told, to come there to gun down the people that would exercise their freedom of speech in America. Yes, they were offended by the Draw Muhammad uh, concept and, and thinking that they should kill people that draw Muhammad. Hey, if you have that belief and you're in a country that has those kinds of laws, that's your privilege. But not in America. In America, we don't have those laws. We don't care about your, your distaste with, being, with Muhammad being drawn. Because here, there's something called freedom of speech. I've heard this woman speak many times, at least a number of times, and people have just put her up against it with, about freedom of speech, saying, well, yes, we have freedom of speech, but, and then she says, as soon as you say but, you've removed freedom of speech. There is no but. Well, but some speeches hate speech. Well, it doesn't say that in the Constitution. It just says freedom of speech. Now, if it's speech that you hate <laughs> or speech that you feel like is very, very offensive, that's the speech that needs to be protected. Because someone that doesn't offend anybody, who needs to protect that? Nobody. But if something does offend someone, that's in our country, we have freedom of speech. You know, you think about some of the great countries like England, which is a wonderful country. But England does not have freedom of speech. I was just hearing that this past week from someone named Max Kaiser who does a show, a little TV show, video, online video show in England, in London specifically. And he said, well, maybe it's because maybe you need to have freedom of speech in England because you really don't have it. See, you, you don't get to go up to uh, someone in Parliament and say, you know, or... or I think there's degrees depending on who it is, but you don't get to go up to a, a banker, let's say, and go, you're stealing people's money. Because then he can just, they can sue you. You know, you don't, even if it's true, they can sue you. Because they don't have freedom of speech. There are other countries that don't have freedom of speech. You can't just say something. You know, you can't, you wouldn't be able to, during this teaching, there are things I couldn't say during this teaching in certain other countries. I couldn't have said what I said about homosexuality not being a positive thing because it would be considered hate speech. I think in Canada to this day, it's already happened in Canada. So you either have it or you don't. That's the same thing with righteousness. You're either righteous or you're not. Well, but look at the way that person's acting. Well, are they born again? Well, yes, they are. Well, then they're righteous. Well, look what so-and-so did, though. Well, are they born again? Well, yeah, they are. Well, then they're righteous. Look what so-and-so said. Well, are they born again? Well, yeah, they are. Well, then they're righteous. Does it mean that they are not didn't break fellowship? Maybe they broke fellowship. Maybe they didn't. 
but they're still righteous. You know, sin, sin after we're born again, it's just breaking fellowship. All sin is broken fellowship once someone's born again, born again of God's spirit. So, that's something. Righteousness. See, so you've got it, or you don't. Which is it? <laughs> and if you have it, show you something else in Second um, Corinthians. It's just wonderful. Something the Apostle Paul said. Um, Second Corinthians. Oh, I just skipped right over it. Well, maybe it's First Corinthians. Let me make sure I got my my uh, books of the Bible right here. Yes, yeah, First Corinthians. Sorry about that. First Corinthians, chapter four. Chapter 4, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. Paul's attitude. Here's an attitude of righteousness. Let a man so account of us, or accurately, if you put it in the right order from the text, so let a man account of us. So let a man account of us. Seems like you're in Silicon Valley. Everybody there always starts in response to a question with, so. (laughs) So let a man account of us, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries. It's in the text, it's singular, the mystery of God, the mystery, not mysteries, you know, the mysteries of the sacrament. No, 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 the mystery. Part of what's in that mystery is your righteousness. And it's still a mystery to a lot of folks, but not to you. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. So those of us that are ministers, and it's it's specifically talking about ministers there in that category, those that are ministers. Verse 3, but with me, the apostle Paul says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. See, that very small thing is, it is the least significant thing that I should be judged of you. Now, you put yourself in that situation. You know, some unbeliever wants to judge you or or believer wants to judge you. It's the least significant thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. And the word judgment is the word day. In man's day. We live in the day where man does the judging. You know, we haven't arrived at that point in the book of Revelation where judgment will come down from on high. You know, and all the things that people have done and all the horrible things will be handled. We don't live in that time. We live in a time where political correctness you see, you see man's judgment every day. One of, man's judge, one, of, one of the big aspects of man's judgment is so-called political correctness, where man and society decide, decides what's right, what's not, what's good, what you should 
say, what you shouldn't really say about people, and what kind of a- actions people can have, and what kind of actions are not so good, and and you know whether Christians should be allowed to pray anywhere, you know, and all these kinds of things are a part of man's day, where man does the judging. To the degree that Seinfeld was saying he didn't want to go, and certain other comedians don't want to go to college campuses anymore to do their comedy because they're too politically correct. And, of course, there were those joking about, well, you were the reason that that happened, you know, that they became so politically correct that you can't even go there and joke about anything because if you make a joke about women, then when the women go, well, you're misogynist, I'm offended. If you joke about black people, well, you're a racist. If you, racist. If you joke about, you know, homosexuals, you're a homophobe. If you joke about the government, you're a, a, a radical or something, or maybe you're, you're a Republican, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Or if you joke about the president, who you can't joke about anything without there being some issue. So it's so that's man's judgment. You see it? That's man's day. That's what's happening now. That's that's societal opinion produces that judgment. You say something on Twitter and 10,000 tweets come at you with, oh, you know, you're a racist. You should be shot. You would be hunting. The kind of things people will say because you say, well, I believe in traditional marriage. You know, if you even put it that way, I believe in traditional marriage. Oh, you're a homophobe. You're a hater. Hater. Why don't you just go kill yourself, hater? Why don't you hang it? This is man's judgment. See it? So, it's the least significant thing that I should be judged of you or, or in man's day, man's judgment, where man does the judgment. For I know nothing by myself. This accurately is, I know nothing of which I am guilty. Why? Because we're righteous. That's why. This this, this verse, these verses are not saying you don't ever make a mistake or break fellowship. We already know that from other verses in the Word. This is talking about what it's talking about, which is, I don't, I just, I refuse to think of anything that I'm guilty about. See? I know nothing of of which I'm guilty. Yet, am I not hereby justified, yet, just because I can't think of anything (laughs) that I'm guilty of, that's not what justifies me. And remember, righteousness, one definition of righteousness is your God-given justification. So I'm not righteous because I can't think of anything I'm doing wrong. That's not why. That's not why. But he that judges me is the Lord. That's why. And when he judged me, what did he find? That I was righteous, as we learned in Romans. Who is he that condemneth? See? <laughs> who is he that, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Nobody. If they do, they can't win. Why? Because the only one who has any standing to do that would be the Lord Jesus Christ or God the Father in a legal court of law. One of the things that's involved, I don't know everything about it, but I know a little bit. And one of the things that if you were to bring a case before the Supreme Court, one of the things that you have to have is legal standing. In other words, 
if a law in no way affects you or injures you, then you have no legal standing to bring anything before the court. Well, no one has any legal standing to bring anything before the court other than Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and God who you got unreconciled from because of what Adam did. And those two say, we're not going to do it. So there is no one and no thing, no devil spirit, the adversary himself, no angels, no principalities, no political powers, no friend, no enemy, no spouse, no nobody, no girlfriend, boyfriend, nobody who has any legal standing to bring anything against God's elect. And that is you, because you are righteous. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now we're going to Second Corinthians. You're righteous, so being righteous, you don't have those issues to contend with. Now, what do we have to do? Keep it in our minds. Because we live in man, in a world that's where man does the judging. It's man's day. And so those attitudes are constantly there, judging you every second of every day by what you're doing or not doing. And do you think it's set, those judgments are set up according to the word? No, they're not. They're set up by the God of this world. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he, God, hath made him Christ to be sin for us, or he made him a sin offering, is the text. That's what sin is, a sin offering. Who knew no sin that we might be made or we might become the righteousness of God in him? And it happened. We became that. Excuse me. <clears throat> Boy, that's just such a beautiful verse. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, a sin offering. Not only a sin offering, the sin offering, really. For us, on our behalf. So all of that judgment that could have been judged against us, all that condemnation, all that bad, all that wrongdoing, all of that stuff, all that junk was lumped on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not on us. Praise the Lord. And here's the thing. Jesus Christ knew no sin. So for this to work out perfectly, it had to be someone who had no culpability at all. Because if, if he did, he'd be dealing with his own problems first. You know, he'd have to get he'd have to get righteous first before he could do anything for us. Well, he was already there, so he took all of everything anyone else had on himself. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. All we had to do was confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus, believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead. And it put us in a position to become the righteousness of God. 
that's even deeper when you think about that. Then, you know, don't think of yourself as just being a container with some righteousness poured inside, you know, one part righteousness, one part motor oil, one part, you know, secret sauce. No. We have become the righteousness of God. How outrageously wonderful. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. It's a beautiful thing. Hebrews chapter 10. See, in in verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, not the exact reality, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In the Old Testament, the law, they used to do these sacrifices year after year, and they would take an innocent animal, and it would have to bear the brunt of all these guilty people. (laughs) But because an animal, you know, couldn't really handle it for all time, they had to do that year by year. And and even there were specific sacrifices for specific things. There was the the annual one, and then there there were others along the way, sacrifices that had to be made. Someone, something had to pay the price. Something had to pay the price. There had to be a substitute. Otherwise, the people would die. The people would, be, uh, would go through all the sicknesses and illness, which is death in part. Sickness is death in part, or when it reaches its conclusion, it's death in whole where you're dead. So they had to do this year after year, verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, once purged or cleansed, should have had, oh, I, I skipped something, sorry, uh, which they offered year by year continually, yeah, not the exact reality. Let me go back. So the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image or the exact reality of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It could make them perfect. It just got them through another year or another few days, depending on this, the particular sin. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because if it did make them perfect, you wouldn't have to keep doing all that. You wouldn't have to keep having these animal sacrifices, right? Sure, sure. Because that the worshipers once purged or cleansed would have no more conscience of sins. If it could be be handled, where boom, one time, it's done. Okay, we're going to sacrifice this huge animal. We're going to sacrifice a whale. And now after this, after this blubber is gone, you'll be blubberless. You know, you won't have any problems. And then I could go, okay, great. Man, that's it. I don't even have to think about sin anymore. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. That's something? Skip down to verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We're set apart, see, by the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. This is what animals couldn't accomplish. It couldn't be accomplished in the Old Testament. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, not God, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. That means it was complete. It was finished. It was handled. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected, completed. You're completely, absolute, completely, completely, absolutely complete. Completed forever them that are sanctified. You were set apart. Sanctification is one of your sonship rights, but in that period of sanctification, you became righteous. You became righteous. And now you are the righteousness of God. No matter what you do from this point forward, are there better things to do and worse things to do? Oh, heck yeah. You can read the church epistles, Romans through Thessalonians, and there's tremendous things that tell you you know, how to renew your mind so that you can do better rather than not so good things, First Peter. But whether you do those better or not better things, one thing we could do better is never have a consciousness of sin. The sin problem has been handled. It's just the sinner problem. It's what do you think about it? First Peter, chapter 2, which is right after Hebrews or almost right after Hebrews, Hebrews, James. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 24. Who? Jesus Christ. Who his own self bear our sins. Who sins? Our sins. See, he was our substitute. He took our place. He was the sin offering who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins. Now, that's that. So should we have sin consciousness? We should not. We should not. Don't let anybody put sin consciousness on you. Don't put it on yourself. Don't put it on anybody else. And don't let anybody put it on you. <coughs> Excuse me. You're righteous. Either you are or you're not. Either it's free speech or it's not. See? Well, is it freedom of speech? Well, it is or it isn't. So don't let anybody put it on you. You are righteous now. Not when you die. Not in the sweet by and by. Right now. You became the righteousness of God, you're a little glow ball of righteousness. And that doesn't mean you have just a little glow ball in you. 
you know, I, what I what I want to um, communicate is don't think of it as just one little place in your body, you know, your solar plexus. There's an orb of light in your solar plexus. And if you can get your chakras lined up, you know, if you can get your, your head lined up perfectly with your solar plexus, you know, and a, or it's just, it's, it's a light that's beaming out of your forehead. No, you are righteous. You are the righteousness of God. It's a complete deal. It's a, it's a package deal. You are the, and you are the package. You are the righteousness of God. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, the righteousness that we have. So this is the change that I didn't experience in the Pentecostal church. I live to try to get righteous. We're to live to exemplify that we already are righteous. There's the difference. Back then, I lived to become righteous so I'd make sure I was righteous right before I died and so I'd go to heaven. And so my whole life was consumed with making sure I didn't do this, didn't do that, did do this, did do that, didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't, 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 did, 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 yes, yes, no, no, no. What a waste of time. When even unbelievers, for the most part, don't go through all that nonsense, especially real, robust unbelievers. That's why many times unbelievers are having a lot more fun than believers, because believers are sin-conscious. You know, is it, is it extreme? If you want to say it, if you want to look at it that way, I can give you extreme examples. You can come up with your own, though. Hey, what if someone just murdered an entire village of children and puppies and right afterwards got born again? Are they righteous? Yes. Well, it doesn't mean they're going to get out of jail. It doesn't mean they won't be... You know, shot in the firing squad or lethally injected, it doesn't automatically mean that their life on earth from that point forward is going to be groovy. In this country, some places at least, we have a death penalty, and that person might end up having to deal with that. But they're still righteous. They're going to spend all eternity with God, and they are not to be judged by man at that point. So there it is. So what about you and me that aren't having any thoughts about murdering a village full of children and puppies? And yet, oh, I don't think I did enough today for God. Well, maybe you didn't, but you're still righteous. By whose stripes ye were what? Healed. Look at that proximity. We learn, you know, the word means what it says and says what it means and has a purpose for everything it says, where it says it, why it says it, how it says it, to whom it says it, when it says it. Here's a where it says it. Where? Look at the proximity of righteousness to healing. By whose stripes ye were healed. Why? Because righteousness eliminates that sin consciousness, and sin consciousness just makes you sick. Condemnation, sin consciousness are open doors for all kinds of problems. 
spiritual, mental, physical, every kind of problem. Sin consciousness. Not thinking you're good enough for all the things God wants to give you. How did we get around to receiving righteousness? Because we put ourselves in a position to receive it. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And then what happens? We walk for a while and we start feeling bad because of something we did or didn't do. And then we stop putting ourselves in a position to receive all the great things God has to give because of sin consciousness, Romans chapter 3. Isn't that wonderful about healing? Man, it's just great to have that righteousness so firmly locked into your mind. That you just, we're not thinking sickness. Romans chapter 3, verse, oh, we'll start with verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Remember, righteousness is your God-given justification. But you don't get any God-given justification by the flesh. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the law does is just keep you sin what? Conscious, you understand? Trying to go by all these rules that you set up in your mind, the, 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 the rules of man, the, in the day of, in the, what is it, man's day, where we do the judging on everybody all the time, yes, on ourselves and on everybody else. By the law is the knowledge of sin. The more you look at yourself, the more miserable you become because you realize you're not measuring up to your own standard. Because <laughs> you can't, because you're just not perfect. The standard we already measure up to is righteousness. We, we are the poster child for righteousness. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, no difference between Judean and Gentiles, what that is dealing with. It's, but, you know, that was the big difference. No difference between black and white. No difference between male and female. See? No difference between, you know, any, any situation that a person was in prior to. Now, here's one that I never use in a teaching, but I want to use it because it's extreme, because I heard uh, one of the candidates for president talk about how she was going to, Make sure that the LGBT community, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community, was gonna, you know, have the same rights as everybody else. Well, they already have the same rights as everybody else to get born again. They have the same rights as anybody else to get born again of God's spirit. And then once they get born again of God's spirit, they have the same rights as anyone else to renew their mind and live according to the word. Which, which, of course, I would take them out of the LGBT community. You have a wonderful book that I haven't read in a long time that's called The Hope of Glory. It was written by a man named David Traley, who was uh, someone that we 
new in the wake or who had been very deeply into the LGBT community, <laughs> the homosexual and lesbian community, uh, before getting born again and getting at least before getting the accuracy of the word. And he tells a fantastic story of how of his deliverance getting out of that. It's just it's really tremendous. And and you know, there are people that will win to the Lord Jesus Christ who are in that community. Maybe it's not a large percentage because a lot of that community just have a absolute aversion to believing in God. We know that from Romans chapter one. They've rejected there being, you know, God to have anything to do with what I'm gonna what I want to do. But and worse, but um that doesn't mean they can't get born again. That doesn't mean we don't share the word with someone in that category. That doesn't mean we impute their trespasses under them. We don't. We just need to shine the greatness of the light that we have of being absolutely and totally righteous. And here we go. Verse 24. Or 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, that would be me. Oh, that would be you too. That would be everybody. Being justified freely. Without a cause. We weren't the reason. Meaning we didn't do anything to, we were the reason in that God loved us, but we weren't the reason in that, we didn't do anything that freely is without a cause. We didn't do anything to get it. We didn't earn it. We couldn't, you guys. We couldn't and we can't now that we're saved. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a mercy seat. Propitiation is that mercy seat. That's where the sin offering was placed. That's, you know, through faith in his blood, within his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him, that believeth in Jesus. His righteousness, not mine, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But it's mine now because I've become that. From his to mine, I've become that. See, it wasn't my righteousness. Remember, uh, the Apostle Paul said, not having any of mine own righteousness, being found in him, not having any of mine own righteousness. It's not my what I earned from the law, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But it's what I got because God gave it to me. Because I did what he said to do, and he gave it to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Christ Jesus, see, who of God is made unto us wisdom. And righteousness. He's made unto us righteousness. And sanctification. So he made unto us sanctification. And redemption. Made unto us redemption. Boy, this is just fantastic. Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto. He was made unto you righteousness, and now you are righteous. You have become righteous. 
is the righteousness of God. That's what you are. It's not what you have a little bit of. It's what you are. Romans chapter 5. Rock and roll, baby. It's what you are. You are the righteousness of God. So am I. Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, without a cause, what could you have offered? What could you give? What could you do? Nothing. Nothing. You were dead. (laughs) And trespasses and sin, see? You could do nothing. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's another goodie that we get because of righteousness, our God-given justification. We're saved from the wrath. We're not going to go through the tribulation, the great tribulations. We're We're not going through it. It's not happening to us, period. End of story. Well, but things are getting so bad. You know, we're about to go. We're going through the book of Revelation. You're not. I'm not. Not if you're righteous. We are the righteousness of God. There is no further judgment on us. We have been judged and we have been found righteous. The only other judgment for those of us that are born again of God's spirit is for rewards. So now we're talking about the reward ceremony. Do we get Five crowns, four crowns, three crowns, two crowns, one crown. You know, do we get similar to the gold medal, the silver medal, or the bronze medal? That's what. That's all that's left. You know, we're all in the Olympics. It's just a matter of what reward we're going to get. We're already there. It's not about are you going or not. I'm going. You're going. The issue is how many rewards. That's the motivation to renew our minds, and to do good things. First of all, just because we're so thankful of what God did that we want to, we just like to do something for him. We'd like to manifest that righteousness in our lives and our walks. That's first of all. But second of all, well, whatever you want to make first and second, it's up to you. But certainly another aspect is rewards. Reward, you get rewarded throughout all eternity if you go ahead and act righteously. If you live it, but whether you live it or not, you're righteous. First John, chapter 3, in the back of your Bible. Boy, this is the gospel of deliverance. I just remember one lady that, um, it's a lady that was delivered of, when I was a wild ambassador of 120 devil spirits. And when I originally shared with her witness to her regarding was just this that I'm talking about, righteousness. She had grown up as a Pentecostal, and I, I, don't get me wrong now. I'm nothing wrong with Pentecostals. I, this is just, I'm not, this is a tick on Pentecostal day. Uh, I'm not putting them down or anything like that. But she had been in her particular denomination or group or whatever. She was taught so much sin consciousness. She was so, condemned herself so much and was so constantly trying to, you know, uh, dig herself out of sin that she had opened herself up to all kinds of spiritual problems. Because <laughs> they love to hang around people that are all down. You want to 
you know, open the door for possession, just spend time being down and out, being full of sin consciousness, full of condemnation. I taught that in the advanced class, for those of you that might remember. That's one of the ways you get there, being all sin conscious. First John chapter something, three. Yeah, okay. Verse 20. I'm going to start in verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure, persuade, to assure is to persuade, to win by words, to influence, or for those of us that are salespeople, to sell. See, shall sell our hearts before him. We persuade our hearts. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Again, the heart, the seat of your personal life. So if you've allowed somebody to get so far down in your heart that it's condemning you, that you, you've said it so many times that now you actually do feel unworthy. You actually do feel like you, because of something you did, you deserve for bad things to happen, or you deserve for bad things to continue to hang around, or you deserve for bad things to happen to other people that are around you, or anything like that. You've gotten yourself to that point with your heart, God's still greater than your heart, and he knows that's not the deal. Because what does God know? He knows you're righteous. So you and I have to persuade our hearts of the same. Or we get to. You don't have to, but it might be a good idea. Persuade your heart that you're righteous. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not... Then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. See? When your heart doesn't condemn you, you have confidence. If your heart is condemning you, you have problems believing the simple promises of God. And that is the connection between righteousness and believing. When you're righteous, you can believe because your heart's not condemning you. When your heart's condemning you, you cannot believe and receive the simple promises of God's word. It just chops your believing down. Satan, indirectly, comes and just chops you down, chops you down, chops you down so that you're no longer renewing your mind and you start to be full of fear and the negatives. Remember, believing starts with confidence, then trust, then faith, which issues in believing on the positive side. Remember, my wonderful family, that not only do you have a little bit of righteousness, but you have become the righteousness of God. That's what I'd like to share with you today, and I'm going to unmute you. And you're unmuted. Okay. Anybody with anything they'd like to add? Yes, sir. This is Chuck. Oh, hey, Chuck. (laughs) I would like to say yes. Thank you. Uh, And, of course, it's a pleasure and a joy to have the people that are on this call on this call so that I can enjoy it with them. And to realize again and again and again about righteousness. 
You can never hear that too many times or work it too many times because it's always there. You're always going to use it for something. It has to be in the forefront. And I remember times when I was down and out and certain people in our fellowship were teaching me that not to forget my sonship rights and to forget that I'm not to forget that I'm righteous. And it led me to think when pointing the finger at someone, you know, pick on someone's flesh. I can be the best at it. Any of us can be the best at picking on someone else's flesh. And I'm speaking about a believer to a believer. Um, but when you look at the spirit, there's nothing to pick on. Absolutely zero. But then I realized during your teaching, you know, I'm working it in my head that that's me as well. Yeah. If I condemn myself, then I'm picking on my own flesh. And of course, I don't let it get to the heart where it's just like you just finished talking about where it's down in there and woe is me and don't hang out with me and clouds and all this other stuff. Um, you know, I can't even, I can't pick on my own flesh. I can attempt all day long, but I'm ne- I mean my spirit, but I'm never going to get anywhere. And of course, it led me to believe of something that you know, you've been working with me on lately that, yeah, I can pick on someone's flesh and I can just do a bang-up job, but what's it doing, really? What is it getting? It's not getting anywhere. I mean, that part doesn't matter. Amen. It led me to believe that if I'm condemning myself, which I'm not, then I'm picking on my flesh because that's the only part I can pick on. If I don't do that, then well, then it's just a spirit walk. It stays a spirit walk. So Tremendous. thank you. Amen. I, I, also, to just to notice that righteousness right next to healing—that just really—that's hmm. right there. Yeah. You know, God has a purpose for everything He says. Where He says it, the location yeah. of something in the Word is important. But anyway. Yeah, Thank because you, I've never been, I've never, one, one more, I've never been happy and go, oh, yeah, everything's great except for that pain. Everything else is great. It never, they never coincided. So, yeah, I see that. Thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Anybody else? Uh, yes, this is Evelyn. And um, I was just uh, thinking about social justice and how, uh, how, how we have uh, recently become so social into so, social justice, and how all that does is um, promotes, you know, that um, judgment, you know, man's judgment, because it is it's man's day, and uh, I I I realize and recognize this man, you know, chooses to. You know, he can do whatever he likes. But um, for me and my family, you know, the family of God, I have the ability, instead of being doing the things that man does in man's day of uh, social justice and judging everybody and judging people's flesh and picking on everything, uh, picking it to pieces, um, I believe that um, I can, you know, from this teaching now, know absolutely 
You know, because I am righteous. I was made righteous. Jesus Christ did everything so that I have the righteousness of God. And so um, anybody else who's born again, that's a, that, that next step really, you know, blows me away because, um, you know, some of these people that I see, uh, these some of these stars, these um, actresses, and and uh, some of these people out here that I know are born again, and they said they have you know spoken tongues, so I figure they're born again. And uh, the things I see them doing, I you know you, you separate. I go, oh wow, did you hear that? What she said in that song, or what he said in that song, or what he you know. How could they do that? You know, they're righteous. It doesn't matter how they could do it. You know, that's because of freedom of will and what he's done. It's just a decision of one individual's mind. And but for me, the decision of my mind is not to judge, not to you know do what the world does with the social justice and all of these man-stayed judgments. So uh, it's pretty clear. Thank you so much, Mr. Harris. Yeah, wonderful. Someone uh, that logged in put said, we are pure life. Good point. I have always said I am the love of God. Phone is dying. Thank you, bro. <laughs> so um that was Donaldson. So thank you Donaldson for for sharing that. Okay. So I'm confused. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. I'm a little confused. If I go, go out, if I go out and lie, cheat and steal and scheme uh every day but just Convince, uh, just claim my righteousness. It's okay. You're still righteous. Your righteousness is not affected by what you do. Well, I. But that's okay. Did I teach it was okay? I mean, I what I taught was you're righteous, and that's the truth. Okay. So, renewed whether you live your righteousness is another issue. That's another issue. And you get rewarded if you do throughout all eternity. If you don't, then you won't get rewarded, but it has no effect on your righteousness. It has no effect on your standing as a son of God. Your state can be affected, and your state is fellowship. So if you're in fellowship with God, your standing is sonship whether or not you're in fellowship. But if you're standing as a son of God and you're in fellowship, that's great. Then you exemplify, you demonstrate, you show forth your righteousness. But whether you show it forth or not, you are. Because it's spiritual. It's not about your flesh. This thing is so deep. I'm glad you're bringing this up. It's so deep because there's just none righteous, no, not one in their flesh. People that think they're doing all the right things, it's meaningless. Yep, that's not righteousness. That's just works. Those are works. Now, 
if we do something according to God's word, well, that's good works. But, you know, the the Mother Teresa and all that stuff, there's a lot of folks doing a lot of things that, you know, from a census standpoint, look good. Has nothing to do with righteousness. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. That's why I give those extreme examples. You could be very extreme. I didn't say it was okay. You know, if you're either on the word or you're off the word, and the way we reprove is with the word. That's why I don't, I can't uh, put it put another way, the way the Apostle Paul put it, it's the least significant thing that I should be judged of you or in man's day. Same thing, uh, any of us on this phone call. It's the least significant thing. However, how do we reprove? With the word, doctrine, reproof, and correction. We use the word. It has nothing to do with what we think, feel, etc. It has everything to do with what does the word say. But with or without, whether someone needs reproof or doesn't, they're still righteous before God, according to the word of God. This is just an awesome thing. And you know what? More good comes from pushing righteousness. This is where it's just... Um, how can I put it? When we push sin, when we teach sin, people sin. So we have something to teach about. I mean, that's the old example we give. When we push righteousness and teach righteousness, then people aspire to that. It's like give a dog a good name. The more we teach, <laughs> you know, about sin consciousness and, and all that kind of stuff, the more... People sin. The more we teach righteousness, the more people live righteously. The less they're sick. The less all these other, because that's what they are. That's what God says they are. Once they get born again of God's spirit, they are at that moment and forever righteous. No matter what they do from that point forward. Are there better things to do than others? Absolutely. We know that where from the Word, because it tells us in the Word. You know, in Ephesians, it says we shouldn't lie. But the Word also says everybody does. So for me to point my finger at you, or you to point your finger at me or anybody, it's not, it's just anybody. The point is, we're righteous. We can focus on each other's flesh, and when we do, what happens? Anybody can answer. What happens? Yeah, well, yeah. You get miserable. Well, I, yeah, I, living with Evelyn, she's the most wonderful woman in the world. And yet, there are plenty of times when, and have been over the last 30 years, when I've made it my business to point out things that, you know, she could do better. Well, why don't you do this? Why did you do that? Why don't you do this? Why did you do that? How come this? How come that? How come this? How come that? Over and over and over and over and over and over again. And what a waste. Um, she's righteous. She, at times, has pointed out things <laughs> in my life uh, that could be changed. And, uh, and yet, I'm righteous. So our focus, you guys, 
is on who we are in Christ. That's our focus. That's what we push. That's what we drive. And then where there's doctrine, reproof, and correction necessary, well, then we reprove with the word. We let the word do the reproving. That's what the word says. That's what it teaches us. Doctrine, reproof, correction, which is instruction in what? Righteousness, right, and right living and taking the righteousness that you have on the inside and living it on the outside. So you do that with the word. So that, does that answer the question? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, anyone else? Patty or anybody else? I lo- uh, one quick story. I was teaching a class with a bunch of young people um, very young uh, during the, and Chuck, you might remember this, but Sophia and certain others were there, and there's a, they were teenagers. A lot of them were teenagers. So uh, one of the teenagers' dad came to class, and he was a minister. And so I taught the first or second se- first and second session of the class or something like that. And at the end, he comes up to me and he says, I'm a minister. I said, oh, wonderful. I'm glad you're here at the class. It's wonderful. He said, you know, I noticed you didn't teach anything about sin. And I said, yeah, and, and he com- uh, went on to tell me that in his church, you know, he makes sure that he teaches a healthy dose of sin. I said, well, you know, my fellow brother and ministers teach enough about sin that I don't really need to. I, I'll, I prefer to teach about who you are and in Christ and what you can be. Because I got plenty of my fellow ministers teaching the other. <laughs> and so, of course, he didn't have any further conversation with me. But we found out his son was in that class. And Sophia came up and told me, you know, it's funny he said that to you. His son is the biggest rabble rouser of the whole group of all of us. I mean, he, he does more stuff, more bad stuff than anybody. And so with all that, te- and it just confirmed something Dr. Will had taught me years ago. If you teach sin, people just commit it so you have something to teach about. So, uh, boy, we, this is one of those things that, that um, comes up, must be taught often. I have not taught it recently often enough. It's been on my mind for, I don't know, weeks now, to, at least at least weeks, maybe months, to to bring up and teach, and I haven't. And finally, today it was like, you, this is, you got to do it. Because it's something that, it's a regular thing that all of us as believers need to hear. It's our sonship, it's one of our sonship rights. And we have just got to, for our own benefit, have to remind ourselves over and over and over and over and over again how righteous we are Literally, we have become the righteousness of God. So when I look at you, that's what I should be thinking. When you look at me, that's what you should be thinking. Anyway, that's it. Love you. Talk to you soon. See you soon. Sooner the better. And Love you. Thank you. You're welcome, and you're righteous. Thank you. You're the best. Glad <laughs> you're the best, and you're blessed. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Vinny. Bye, Miss Patty. Bye, Abby. Bye, Chuck. Bye-bye. Love you. Love you, too, sweetheart. (laughs) Bye-bye. Step into the world of power 
loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.